Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. It was 4.30 in the morning, what most of us call the middle of the night. The pregnant woman, sleeping in the bed beside the man who was later killed, called this one of the darkest moments of her life. Feeling the bed vibrate from the ensuing gunfire aimed at the apartment, she could even smell gunfire in the air. Minutes felt like hours. She was pulled violently from the room and thrown into the kitchen. From there, she heard more gunfire come from the bedroom. Then she heard the words, he's good and dead now. And that gunfire smell was from 100 rounds fired by police under their claimed justified search. Later accounts would tell that this was far from the truth. It was what some would say was murder. This week, I'll talk about the assassination of Fred Hampton. Now, I didn't hardly know anything about Fred Hampton until I read this absolutely and enlightening Twitter thread by Claire Willett. My friend posted it on her Facebook and then I read it. It just blew me away. It was so informative and eye-opening. But I think to fully grasp the atrocity of this man's death, you of course have to hear about his life and who he was because he was a remarkable person. 
On August 30, 1948, Frederick Allen Hampton was born in Chicago. He was the youngest of three kids born to Francis Allen and Iberia Hampton, who were both originally from Louisiana. When little Fred was around seven years old, his former neighbor, Emmett Till, was lynched in Mississippi. Fred's mother, Iberia, remembered Emmett as Bobo, the little kid she used to babysit. Now, Fred was probably too young to fully understand the ramifications of what happened, but this had to have been something that stuck with him and his family forever. In 1958, the Hamptons moved to Maywood, and early on, Fred showed amazing leadership skills. At Irving Elementary, he was the captain of something that was called the Patrol Boys. This was a group of kids that helped control traffic and helped students cross the street. He also organized morning homework sessions before classes. Then, when he got to high school, his work continued. He was elected to the Interracial Cross-Section Committee. This was a group that helped white students acknowledge and reform their personal racist outlooks. But as the black population of the school grew, white students from nearby schools verbally and physically attacked these high school students, prompting the formation of the committee. Now, Fred was one of the ones who tried to, quote, cool the whole situation. And this earned him respect with both black and white students. At one point, he met with a group of white kids behind some of the incidents. In an article I read by Ted Pearson, he wrote of how Fred, or Hamp as he was known, told them that it was the system that was oppressing them, saying, You are as oppressed as we are, because you aren't even together. His talk with them got the students to end their racist actions. The committee was a very good idea in theory. However, their suggestions fell on deaf ears when presented to the school administrators. In November of 1967, a fight broke out between a black and white kid outside of school. Fred stepped right in to stop the fight, and this resulted in him getting beaten by police. However, a good thing did come of that. This was when he was approached by the Maywood branch of the NAACP to work with their youth council. And this was something that he put his heart and soul into, building this very small group clear up to 700 kids aged 15 to 21. And according to a really great article I read by Natalie Thom, around the same time, he also set up a protest because black girls weren't being allowed to become homecoming queen. And his actions changed that policy. After he graduated, he, of course, continued to do good work. Summertime brought about a youth recreation center that Fred lobbied hard to bring into existence. Believing firmly in making his community better was what got Hampton the deputy chairman post of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. Now, this involved many things, including getting school lunches into schools, holding classes on people's rights, to getting lights installed in dangerous areas of the city. The Black Panther Party had 10 points that were their mission. Number one, we want freedom. We want the power to determine the destiny of our black community. Number two, we want 
full employment for our people. Number three, we want the end to robbery by the capitalist of our black community. Four, we want decent housing fit for the shelter of human beings. Five, we want education for our people that exposes the true nature of this decadent American society. We want education that teaches our true history and our role in present day society. Six, we want all black men exempt from military service. Seven, we want an immediate end to police brutality and the murder of black people. Eight, we want freedom for all black men held in federal, state, county, and city prisons and jails. Nine, we want all black people, when brought to trial, to be tried in a court by a jury of their peer group or people from their black communities, as defined by the Constitution of the United States. And ten, we want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice, and peace. But Fred Hampton was motivated and determined. And if anyone could accomplish change in their community, this was the guy. His programs for school breakfast and health clinics in the area were very successful. What I loved about this article I read was about how she told about Fred's work with the Rainbow Coalition. Now quickly, I want to go into the basic background of the Black Panthers and the Rainbow Coalition so you understand these groups. And as a quick go-to, I used Wikipedia. The Black Panther Party was founded by college students Bobby Seale and Huey Newton in 1966 in Oakland, California. Their main purpose for forming was to monitor police brutality by the Oakland police. Open carrying of weapons was used by the Marxist students. Now, naturally, some of their ideals seemed revolutionary, but this was the 60s. The group was very instrumental in starting many community programs, like Fred Hampton did with his chapter, like health programs, breakfast for school children. At the same time, this group was charged with allegedly killing and wounding police officers, which led to a very bad rap. I mean, that was what I knew of the group growing up, and sadly, not any of the positive things that they did. Now, keep this in mind, because this idea that they were only a bad, violent group plays into the story later on, especially when I mention something called COINTELPRO. Now, the Rainbow Coalition was founded on April 4th, 1969 by Fred Hampton, William Preacherman Vesperman of the Young Patriots Organization, and Jose Chacha Jimenez of the Young Lords. Because all three founders dealt with various races, bringing them together brought about the name Rainbow Coalition. The Young Patriots were a left-wing group that grew out of Students for a Democratic Society. The group originally began to support young white immigrants from the Appalachia area, but it soon became open to all races. The roots of the Young Lords organization began from a Chicago turf war, if you can believe that. The group fought for rights of Latinos and Puerto Ricans. Jimenez met Fred after the Young Lords made the news, after occupying the police community workshop meeting of the 18th District Police Station. Fred was then later arrested with Jimenez after a demonstration at a welfare office. 
The Rainbow Coalition later brought together many other socialist groups like the American Indian Movement and Students for a Democratic Society. The group is not to be confused with Jesse Jackson's appropriation of the name for his Rainbow Push group. Many people actually think that the group founded by Hampton was the basis for what Barack Obama built his political career upon. And I can completely get behind that idea since Fred Hampton was this very well-spoken, charismatic guy that was able to unite people of all races, just like Barack Obama did. Fred rose in the ranks of the Black Panther Party. This was a guy that taught political education classes every morning at 6 a.m. on top of working on community projects and things like organizing protests and getting clinics going for the public. He was now in line to be appointed to the party's Central Committee's Chief of Staff. This was a very big position. So now let's get into... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI investigation into Fred Hampton. The FBI at that time kept awfully close tabs on any kind of organization that spoke against their ideals. Just basic white guy stuff. You must remember that they kept huge files on people like Martin Luther King Jr., John Lennon, and John Kennedy. This is just to name a few. J. Edgar Hoover created a secret project called COINTELPRO. It's short for Counterintelligence Program. And then, as Claire Willett succinctly put in her Twitter feed, they had three main goals, and this is right from her feed. Number one, to discredit radical leaders in their own communities by falsely painting them as snitches or sellouts, spreading rumors that they were collaborating with the FBI or law enforcement so their own people wouldn't trust them. Two, to force rifts between different coalitions with the same values, whether between, say, a very liberal black civil rights organization versus a more centrist one, or between a black activist group and a Latino one, to sow chaos and to prevent cooperation. And three, most relevant to our current national conversation, to create a framework in which the vast vast, vast majority of white people saw not only the Panthers, but the entire black civil rights movement as a violent, disruptive threat which needed constant police control. And once again, Claire, thank you for that amazing thread. Hoover issued directives ordering FBI agents to, quote, expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, 
or other neutralized movements and their leaders. This included things like wiretapping phones, infiltrating these groups that they were targeting, planning false media stories, perjury, and illegal force imposed by the police. Their new target became Fred Hampton. COINTELPRO wanted to, quote, prevent the rise of a messiah who could unify and electrify the militant black nationalist movement. And since Fred was so talented at bringing people together, their sights were set on him. He was responsible for a non-aggressive pact between Chicago gangs around this time, certifying that he might be this messiah. Before his death, he was working on getting people out of gangs and working with the Black Panther Party to go against, quote, the true enemy, the government, and the police force. The FBI worked hard to discredit and sabotage the Black Panther Party. They got this guy named William O'Neill to secretly infiltrate the group. He was ordered by the FBI to steal documents sabotage the breakfast program, and encourage others in the group to react violently towards police. The FBI even gave him weapons. The Black Panther Party, having no idea that he was an informant, put him in charge of security for Hampton, as well as gave him keys to the Panthers' safe houses and headquarters. O'Neill's uncle later said he did all this to reduce his jail time. Plus, he was a teenager at the time, further showing that this guy was pretty impressionable. So now we come to that fateful night on December 4th, 1969. Fred had been working really hard doing party work. This was according to his girlfriend. This was Akua Nigeri, born Deborah Johnson. In many of the videos that are available after the incident, she's referred to as Deborah Johnson. Fred and Aqua met when she was a member of the Black Student Union at Wilbur Wright College. She was very into poetry at the time, but recalls Fred only wanted to discuss poetry that talked about the struggle of the Black community. But despite all that, the two hit it off and became inseparable. Now, at the time of December 4th, Aqua was nine months pregnant with Fred's baby. It was a very cold night. Also in the apartment at 2337 West Monroe Street that night were 10 other members of the Black Panther Party. Fred seemed unusually tired, she recalled, to the point of falling asleep while on the phone. The two retreated to a bedroom at the back of the apartment to go to bed. She then recalled being awoken by someone yelling, Chairman, referring to Fred, Wake up, the pigs are vamping. There was a knock at the door and debate as to whether they identified themselves as police or not. 22-year-old Mark Clark asked who was at the door, according to Aqua. She said the voice on the other side said, Tommy Gun, and then kicked in the door. Gunfire immediately sprayed the apartment, killing Clark. Aqua then said, I saw bullets coming from the front of the apartment, sparks of light, I had slid over the top of Chairman Fred. I don't know what I was thinking or what I was doing. I just moved over and covered up his body. He didn't move, just lifted his head up. It was like he was going in slow motion. The sleepiness and not moving 
was due to him being drugged by O'Neill with secobarbital. O'Neill had drugged him with enough barbiturates to sedate a horse. O'Neill, of course, always denied drugging Hampton. Another person tried to rouse Fred from his sleep without any success. And someone yelled out that Akua was pregnant and to stop shooting. That's when police pulled her out of the bedroom by her hair and threw her into the kitchen. Now remember, this woman was nine months pregnant. Then another police officer pulled open her robe saying, well, what do you know? We have a pregnant broad. And then she heard another cop declare about Fred, he's barely alive, he'll barely make it. After Aqua was removed, the shooting started again. And that's when she heard him say, he's good and dead now. A hundred rounds had been fired, with only one shot being fired from inside the apartment. That shot was most likely from the gun that Mark Clark had. He was on security duty that night by the door, and his gun was fired as his body fell to the floor. Another really good source for what happened that night was lawyer Jeffrey Hawes and his subsequent book, The Assassination of Fred Hampton, How the FBI and the Chicago Police Murdered a Black Panther. At that time, Haas was the co-founder of the People's Law Office, which represented the Black Panthers, among others. His partner, Skip Andrews, woke him up at 7.30 in the morning with the news. They planned for Andrews to go to the apartment and for Haas to interview the survivors. Fred Hampton and Mark Clark had been killed. Fred was only 21 at the time. Four more Panthers were shot, three others were beaten by police, and everyone else was arrested and charged with aggravated assault and attempted murder. By the time it hit the news, a completely different account was being told. Edward Hanrahan, the Cooks County State's Attorney, was on TV saying the Panthers opened fire first, forcing police to shoot back during a search for illegal weapons. The police were hailed as heroes and the Black Panther Party members were made out to be pure villains. And it just so happens that the illegal weapons that the police were there to search for weren't even found. On closer examination, the narrative that the state's attorney was painting was looking more and more flimsy. There were bullet holes that were pointed out on the news that were supposed to be proof that the Panthers were the aggressors. Upon closer inspection, those turned out to be nothing more than nail heads in the wall. Evidence also came to light that most of the fire was directed at the bedroom where Fred was sleeping. After the stories that were told by the survivors, doubt really came into play as to whether the police were justified or not. Was this a weapon search or was this a targeted hit? The autopsy of Fred Hampton showed that the bullets that killed him had entered directly in front of his right ear, and exited from the side of the throat, and the other entered the right forehead and probed to a point behind the left eye, all consistent with two shots to the head at point-blank range. Because of the raid being found to be illegal, a federal grand jury investigated it and the deaths. But, as expected, at that time, and probably even around this time it would happen, those deaths were found to be justifiable homicide. Years later, Jeffrey Hawes worked with the Black Panther Party in a civil lawsuit and obtained a lot of damning information. But most of the information that came out 
was from a burglary that took place at a small FBI office in Pennsylvania. On March 8, 1971, eight people broke into an office in Media, Pennsylvania. The group knew the Philadelphia FBI office would be way too risky, so they settled on the Media building across the street from the county courthouse. And the main purpose was to try to find documents on the FBI surveillance of war protesters. In a New York Times article by Mark Marzetti, the once anonymous members finally came forward after decades. Their intention was to expose the government for its lies and to show the people what was really going on. They spoke to author Betty Medzger. She was a reporter for the Washington Post at the time. She got five of the eight men and women to break their silence. The whole idea was the brainchild of William C. Davidson, who at the time was a professor of physics at Haverford College. The group cased the building for months in preparation. They were careful during the burglary, wearing gloves and dispersing directly after. Since they had been watching the building for so long, the group knew the activities of those in the building. Bonnie Rains, who was part of the group with her husband, even went inside the building acting as a college student doing research for a job opportunity working for the FBI. The break-in went well, and the group all met up at a farmhouse to see what they had obtained. To no one's surprise, they had gotten their hands on evidence of the FBI surveillance on many different political organizations. After looking at the documents, the group, identifying itself as Citizens Commission, sent these documents to different newspaper organizations. One person to get some of the documents was Betty Medzger, who began her quest for the truth. Perhaps the most astonishing documents that were discovered were the ones about COINTELPRO. At this time, no one had any idea what that was. It was found that since 1956, the counterintelligence organization had spied, surveilled, and tried to disrupt the lives of many political groups and individuals, among them Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Some good did come of the burglary and the subsequent investigations into the findings. Policies were changed about how the FBI would conduct future investigations regarding domestic security. The eight burglars were never caught, and they kept their silence for decades. But at that time, they felt they had to do what they had to do. No one was holding Washington senators or J. Edgar Hoover accountable. Another good thing that came about was Ed Hanrahan never got elected to another position. Fred Hampton's son was born on December 29, 1969, and he has become a political activist like his father. Akua has continued to bravely speak about her experiences publicly. She said, I used to say that if I gave up, the ghost of Chairman Fred would haunt me to this day because we're still not free. Power to the people has not become a reality. Thousands attended Fred Hampton's funeral. Over 5,000 people waited to view his casket. Part of his obituary read, You can kill the revolutionary, but you can't kill the revolution. You can jail the liberator, but you can't jail the liberation. 
You can run the freedom fighter all around the country, but you can't stop freedom fighting. That was the assassination of Fred Hampton. And it's a story that I think is extremely relevant today. And here we are almost 50 years later, and the problem of racism, inequality, and police brutality and injustice are still major, major issues. And since the murder of George Floyd, we've seen a change in the world. Now, hopefully, it's only the beginning of a change that is much needed. And if you're protesting, like I said in my last episode, keep protesting. We can't let these injustices go. My platform isn't huge at all, but I'm trying to do my part. And stories like Fred's only go to show that change is a long time coming. Too long. We can't forget. Thanks for listening this week. It's really hard to believe it, but June 27th marks the three-year anniversary of the podcast. And it's crazy because it doesn't feel like that long. Hopefully I've gotten a bit better. And I'm thrilled and grateful to still be doing it, and I hope to do many more. But I wouldn't be anywhere without you guys listening, so thank you so much. You're integral to what I do. Before I go, I want to welcome Jesus, the newest member to the Red Rum Blonde Facebook group. Please join up. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. You can send me suggestions, ideas, complaints, praises to redrumblonde at gmail.com. Don't forget to put the E on the end of blonde. So everybody keep safe and keep up the good fight. Catch you guys next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.